Myra Rodriguez is the former director of three Planned Parenthood centers, was Planned Parenthood's 2016 Employee of the Year, and is a courageous whistleblower who won a 2019 wrongful termination lawsuit against the abortion behemoth and an award of $3 million in damages. During her 17 years with Planned Parenthood, Myra witnessed critical safety and health-related violations, including incomplete abortions, falsification of patient records, illegal conduct, unreported statutory rape, severe injuries by abortion, and high complication rates with one specific abortionist. Today, Myra's mission is to make abortion unthinkable, to advocate for women, and to expose the truth of Planned Parenthood. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Myra, welcome to the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me here, Said It's a pleasure to be with you and your show. I've been watching a few of your episodes. They're all great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. That's sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're trying to make a change where we can. We want to we saturate the digital marketplace with good ideas because those ideas are often suppressed or hidden by the culture of death, by the mainstream media, by the technocrats at these social media companies, and in the broader society. But nowhere is the suppression of ideas and people that they don't like more evident than probably the abortion industry and the way that they treat the defectors of their industry and the whistleblowers of their industry. And that's why I wanted to have you on and for our listeners to just get fired up by your story and your courage. Um, I mean, that bio intro we read, I'm sure has our listeners tuning in very excitedly right now for this interview. Um, but I wanna kind of start with your roots and your beginning. And so um, your mother, I believe, fled Mexico to come to America while you were still a child. Um, and that's so much of where your story begins. Just, just start from there and share with us your story and, and how God brought you to America. Yeah, so I'm born in Mexico City, born and raised in Mexico City. We left Mexico when I was like barely 17, 18. Um, we left because of the violence already that we were encountering in Mexico City. So a different story from a lot of immigrants. We didn't have any economic problems. We actually had a very sustainable life here when we arrive with our tourist visa, right? Because that's how it works. You know, if you have money, you should you get tourist visa and a permit for as long as God knows. But then eventually the tourist visa expired and I didn't go back to Mexico. And I started my life here like many people that we know today, you know, without any documents. And um, I did go to college here. Um, I was not able to go to university because they didn't have uh, the DREAM Act program, which is when you can enroll without having a social security number. I did have a medical lab technician diploma from Mexico City because my dream said since I was a child was to become a doctor in my country. Obviously, that dream got crushed when I was in a foreign country and without the means to achieve that goal. So I did the next close thing to it said, which it was work on the healthcare field, you know, and that was the American dream, right? And, and probably a little bit later on the show, we're going to explain how someone opened the doors for that American dream and, and how I ended up working there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, how did you get involved uh, with Planned Parenthood? You went to, I believe, you went to school here in America. Um, and then how did that happen in your, I guess, in, in your probably your job search? But how did you fall in with Planned Parenthood? Right. So I had a good friend of mine working for them, right? And she knew my status, you know, my immigrant status, my undocumented status. She was the same, actually, right? And she was working for them. And she said, hey, you like the healthcare field? You always wanted to work there. Why don't you come work for them? They help women. They do this. They do pap smears. They do breast exam. You know, they help women. And they want immigrants like us. They want Hispanic-speaking, you know, Spanish-speaking people to attract the immigrant community. So why don't you come? They don't care about our immigration status. And I said, oh, okay. You know, I'm going to confess. I knew very little about Planned Parenthood. I mean, coming from Mexico City, I had just been in this country for a few years, two, three years the most. And then um, not knowing anything about Planned Parenthood, not knowing anything about abortion, all I heard was they help women, they give my friend a job. You know, she has the American dream. I don't have to clean houses, work in a restaurant, 
industry, right. you know, I can work what I wanted to do, which is the medical right. field. And that's how right. we came to the doors of Plum Farming. Now, um, I was reading about your story, Myra. I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but you did you already have a child when you began working at Planned Parenthood? Yes, you're right. I had a daughter already, right? So, you know, I remember one question she asked me, the HR director in Planned Parenthood, that first day when I applied, and it was, so what do you think about abortion? Like, she didn't care about my immigration status. She didn't care about all my Mexican paperwork. She didn't ask any questions at all right her question was so what do you think about abortion and i remember coming from mexico city born and raised catholic i said guadalupana from the heart because uh, of the virgin of guadalupe is our patron in mexico right and my mother's name is guadalupe so can you imagine abortion wasn't a topic in my house abortion wasn't a topic in my country i didn't grow up hearing like kids here here right that abortion is okay and blah 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 so Obviously, when she asked me that, I said, well, I wouldn't have one, you know, I, I wouldn't have an abortion. But if someone else, it's her problem, right? It's like her body and her choice, right? Because that's yeah. what I've been hearing from the moment I arrived to this country, right? That famous phrase, right? That you get away with, like, you don't have to go deep in the topic as long as you say it's her body and her choice. That's so right. I remember saying that when they asked me about abortion. Wow. And so is, was this in Arizona? Where did you, where were you living when you began working for Planned Parenthood? Yes, Phoenix, Arizona. It was the main office in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, I remember uh, that I said, so what would I be doing? She's like, well, you're going to work at the non-abortion clinic. And I went like, Shh, that's awesome. Mm. You know, I don't want to be part of it, you know, like, I mean, I'm okay if that woman does it, but I don't want to be part of it. So yeah. I make sure that my job description had to do with nothing to do with abortion at the beginning. Right. And then you got pregnant with your second child while still working at Planned Parenthood. And I assume they just, uh, they loved that, right? They championed you and they helped you plan your parenthood. Uh, <laughs> what was that experience like? No, actually, you know, you're the first one who brings this up and I thank you for it because like I said at the beginning, I told them I want nothing to do with abortion. And then one day, the abortion clinic was short step, right? And Myra, we need you to go help them. Just do blood work. And I said, oh, I won't be in the rooms, right? So, so see how I keep getting involved? This time it was like, I won't get inside the rooms, right? No, you're only going to do their blood work and then you can come back to the other clinic. Okay, perfect. So I was doing that for a few months and then I became pregnant. And then when I became pregnant, it was like, we need to hide you behind the desk, you know, like wow. behind you that desk, you know, you will make women feel very sad. You know, they come here like at that moment, I was not useful for them to do the blood work at the other clinic. Wow. You know, I needed to go behind the, the desk so they wouldn't see that I was pregnant. Right. Because I could make women sad. And, you know, that's how they twist you, you know, making me feel guilty. Because yeah. <laughs> I was a happy pregnant woman and the patients, right. they will feel sad that I was pregnant, right? Because That's they right. were, most of them were coming seeking abortion or picking right. up birth control after their abortion or not planning to become mother soon. And, and I could interfere with their emotional state by looking wow. at me pregnant. So wow. I, I stopped working for them um, for a few months. They put me into what they call... Um, on call like they will call me if they need me i can tell you that my last six months not five months of pregnancy they hardly ever call me because they needed me right but wow. she said at that moment i was like well they're right i can make women feel bad you know maybe yes they're right i should just be home right or i should wow. just do something else in the meantime because I'm, i don't want to make those women feel sad right right yeah yeah and, and when, when they say, you know, you might make women feel uncomfortable, Myra, you might interfere with their emotional state, we know what they're really saying. They're saying they might not choose abortion because they see you embracing motherhood, and that means we won't get the money in return for killing their child. We all know what's really going on here. Um, but you were at Planned Parenthood, I believe, for a total of 17 years. And so when did things begin to change for you? Um, at what moment did you start seeing things that concerned you? Well, after that, 
after the pregnancy, I delivered my son, came back to work for them, you know, and then boom, said, I started being the golden child, I said. You know, they started praising me. I was very loyal to them. You know, I work at Title 10 clinics. If you're familiar with Title 10 clinics, it's the clinics that receive the federal money, which is used for preventive care, right? And I was very passionate about it, right? Why? Because I will attract the immigrant community to come to them for the services, right? Because I will go into the communities and speak to people and, and have them come, right? To even to schools. So then I started getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And I became the director of the first um, title clinic, right? Wow. And after that, I became the director of a second clinic at the same time, right? It's not like... Uh, we're going to give you a different clinic. No, it's like you're directing this clinic. Now you're going to direct the clinic in Flagstaff, Arizona. Wow. And now I was a director of two clinics at the same time, running two centers, right? And, and all this, you know, a lawyer and playing. When I said loyal, said, have you ever had an argument with those extreme feminists that tell you, Planned Parenthood does more than abortion, sir. They help women. That was me, said. Like, I would wow. have been arguing with you online, on Facebook, telling you, you don't know anything, you know, because wow. we do this, we do that, and give you the long list of services. So I right. did that for many wow. years, 16 years past. You know, 2016, I was awarded Employee of the Year Award because of my, of all the stuff I have done, of how hard I work, of the representation I have done in Washington, D.C., along Cecile Richards. Have you ever seen that picture of me? which is still Richard, their former CEO. That's where that came for. They sent right. me to represent Arizona into this kind of canvassing for Title 10 when Trump took office. And then wow. I was along to see Richard, you know, knocking doors and Senate and Congress people in, in D.C., right? Because that's how loyal it was. And after that, I wow. got my, my Employee of the Year award. And then after that, said, the question came, Myra, you've been a loyal employee. You've been with us for over 16 years. It's time for you to become the director of the biggest abortion clinic in Arizona. I was like, what? Like, if that was my dream set. Like, I'm sure they think that we all look forward to become the director of the abortion clinic, but we don't. You know, because the first thing that came to my mind, it's, it's a hard place to work at. It's a very hard employee retention place. People don't want to work there, said. Like, they go through staff like crazy all the time. They don't want to work there. You know, the, the patients are always angry and sad. Like, it has a lot of problems with patients, right? Because no one wants to have an abortion. So I was like, ah, no, thank you. I will pass. And they're like, well, you either take that or, as you know, we will lose title because of Trump. So we will close on your other two clinics. You'll be out of a job. Now, that moment said it was like, I'm still undocumented, believe it or not. I know people are in shock when I say that. I was still undocumented. I had health insurance, and that's when I started justifying myself, becoming the director. Okay, I need this job. I have two kids, one in college, starting college, the other one in high school. It was just me and my kids at that moment. I needed to keep the health insurance. I need to keep my job, and I justify myself with that. You know, where else would I go? You know, what else is undocumented? They have me here. They've been loyal to me. I should be grateful, right, and take the job, right? And then now I became the director of three clinics. Not only wow. one, but three. I was managing Glendale, Arizona, Flagstaff, and Phoenix. Wow. So how long were you <clears throat> the director of the of a mega center in Arizona before you started becoming uncomfortable enough that you said, I, I can't do this anymore? What did you start seeing? that um, rose to a level of disgust and concern that finally made you speak out? You know what, sir? It didn't take that long. I started overseeing the abortion clinic in December of 2016. By March of 2017, I was already complaining about the abortionists, a couple of them that I, I had at my clinic, right? And I was like, wait, this is not the first thing said. It's like, all these years, I've been told, Myra, what you do at the non-abortion clinic, it's what matters. Because abortions are only 3% of our services, right? That's right. And yeah, then yeah. as soon as I'm the director said, the deposit from my non-abortion clinic was not even a couple thousand bucks a day. The deposit from the abortion clinic was over 20 grand a day. Just the cash. We're not talking about insurance payments yet. We're talking about wow. cash, credit card fees and cash from wow. people, right? That's not 3%, right? The non-abortion <laughs> clinic, 
I was not forced to see more than 16 patients a day, 16, one, six a day at the non-abortion clinic. At the abortion facility, Myra, you need to see at least to meet your budget, to meet the goal, 40 patients a day. That's not 3%, right? And then employees, the salary of the employees working at the abortion clinic even brand new staff, right? They just graduated from MA school or not even with MA school, just with a high school diploma, getting paid a couple dollars, maybe $3 more than my employees that have been there for years at the non-abortion clinic, for years, say, you know? It, and it was crazy. I'm like, okay, so this is not looking the way they always told me it was, right? And now when people say, why it took you 17 years to see that? Well, they're not, what would I say? We're going to agree on something. They're pretty smart. Okay, Planned yeah, Parenthood's yeah, yeah. pretty smart. They have gone yeah. as far as they have gone because they're smart. Obviously, they yeah. don't let everyone see it unless you're part of that business now, right? Yeah. Because now you're in there. So I didn't see their financials before. I didn't see their goals. You know, and I, you know, one thing that always shocks me is how other former abortion workers, if we were friends or acquaintances or we used to go out for dinner or whatnot, never mention any of this, right? That's still something that concerns me, why, right? So, and then I start seeing a specific, an abortionist that all the women that he had seen will suffer more. And when I say suffer more, it's like they will take longer to recover. They will have more bleeding. You know, I mean, none of those women left the clinic. They leave the clinic full, right? They don't leave the clinic complete. They are in pain. They're bleeding, all of them do. But some of them recover faster, right? And then I noticed that with this abortion, that wasn't happening. And then I noticed the inconsistent from his charting. What happened in the room is not what says in the chart. So that's where we wow. see the falsification of patient records, right? And then we start arguing about him not following the law in the state of Arizona. Now, as you know, Arizona is among the few states that are more conservative towards abortion still, right? We still have a lot of legislations in place protect yeah. women and he wasn't following them you know and then i start seeing other stuff happening but i obviously said there's there's the last stroke there's the one that really did it and i'm like enough enough and that was basically around early september end of august of 2017 a 19 year old girl came for an abortion and she was 14 weeks pregnant and he did her abortion you know, just as quick as he does. It was a Sunday. His doctor used to come on Sundays. And now he's the medical director, said, okay? Like, he oversees wow. all the doctors. Yeah. So he comes on Sunday. He's in a hurry, right? And, and wanting to do patients every 15 minutes. And he finishes the abortion, inserts an IUD. And instead of following the law, getting off his chair and going to check that the abortion has been complete. And when I say that, I'm sorry if I'm going to be explicit. But that's the part when he has to make sure the puzzle is back from the baby. Yep. That there's two legs, two feet, two arms, a torso, and a head. I know that still a lot of the people don't believe us that that's how abortions are done after right. 11 weeks. They, it's yep. a dismemberment. They rip up the parts of the baby apart and then put them back together like a puzzle. The law in the state of Arizona says that the abortionist himself, the nurse beside him, and the assistant that he had, three of them together said, had to go and make sure that the body parts are all there. That's the law. It's a it's an affidavit right. that they'll have to sign. He will constantly sign that affidavit long before going into the room. That's breaking the law. And then he will send his assistant by herself to make sure everything's accounted for so he can finish and move on faster. So in that case, the assistant came back and said, it's not complete. He said, check again. I check everywhere. It's not complete. He said, no, no, it must be there. It must be somewhere. So he cleaned up, put the IUD, move on to the next room. The assistant comes into my office crying and says, I have already told him three times that the head's not there. Whoa. He's not listening. So now Myra steps back to talk to him. And before he jumps into the next room, I'm like, doctor, it seems you're not done. You're missing the head. And he says to me, go find, go look for it in the trash said that did it. When he said, go look for the head of a 14-week baby in the trash, my heart froze, my stomach twisted. 
And I was so mad and angry at him, you know, that we argue. He finally agreed to do an ultrasound. He did the ultrasound. And guess what? He found the head right above that IUD he had already inserted. Said that 19-year-old girl received two abortions. They scraped her twice. They removed her IUD and, and put it in again in less than 30 minutes. And guess what? He didn't mention it to her. He didn't chart it. He didn't say anything. Wow. And then we argue about his charting, and he didn't want to do it. He said, just do your job, I'll do mine. I'm the medical director. So I left the clinic. I called my supervisor and said, you do something? Oh, I will. I will. I will go to the health department. I will go to the federation. Wow. When I say federation, it's Plum Parent Federation of America, and I will wow. complain about him. I have the proof. I have everything I need. I, have, I made my staff write a statement set, which is one of the things that saved in court made my staff write the statement of what had she had seen that day and she had witnessed. But that didn't. I mean, I walked out of that clinic. Now I'm talking like I had only been there for, what, nine, ten months as a director, and I left. I, I walked out and complained and told him I'm going to do something about it. What happened yeah. next is what shocked most of the people, right? And shocked me, said, to be honest with you. It shocked me. Wow. Oh my gosh, Myra. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I'm, I, I'm actually glad that you went into detail because the abortion industry and the culture of death are only successful insofar as they remain in the shadows, as they remain in the darkness. And scripture talks about this, that when things are in darkness, they thrive. But when light shines... You know, that's what leads to forgiveness and to healing and repentance. And so thank you for shining the light into the darkest areas of the culture that you used to be involved in. And, and we're so grateful for your story because I believe, Myra, that the strongest voices against the culture of death and against abortion are those who have been there and can now hold a sign in the culture of death and say, stop this um, and be able to share your story. So thank you so much. Um, and you didn't even get into some of the other things, like not, not uh, reporting statutory rape and, and many of the okay. other disgusting stories that we know happen at dozens and dozens and dozens of centers. Um, but for the sake of time, I want to dive into this lawsuit um, because I want you to give us just a swing-for-swing swing, uh, recount of exactly what happened because it's incredibly powerful. And, and this is still fairly recent uh, in your experience and in your story. This is still a newer chapter for you. Um, and so we just want to champion you. We want to celebrate you, encourage you, um, as you encourage us and our listeners and, and the church and the pro-life movement. So you filed a wrongful termination lawsuit. Um, but what led up to that? What was the, the swing for swing story of you taking this to Planned Parenthood and then how did they respond? Uh, give us the lead up to, to what ended up being the lawsuit. Yeah, so when I complained about the abortionist, when I said that, you know, they were like, oh, okay, just, just do your job. We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. Like, stop bugging. Look the other way. We'll take care of it. Um, obviously, you can imagine a few, day, a few weeks later, not even weeks, a few days later, I was blamed on a, a bunch of staff that wasn't truthful. You know, especially uh, accusing me of having narcotics on my desk while I was gone. Narcotics from the back of the office, like the ones they use on patients to numb them, and having them on my desk while I was gone, said. Like, while I was supervising one of the other clinics, they found narcotics, and now I'm fired. They I knew what this guy had to do. Yeah, I knew where this was going. I knew that they were covering up for him. I knew they wanted me gone. I knew they wanted me silent. They were like, let's accuse the undocumented employee of having narcotics. She won't do anything about it. She'll be too afraid, right? And I'm not going to lie to you. Of course I was afraid, right? Of course I was yeah. afraid. Being undocumented and starting a wrongful termination lawsuit, it's not an easy decision set. I mean, I could have gone back to Mexico. Now, Thankfully, I'm not undocumented anymore. My immigration status was adjusted and I'm not undocumented anymore, but I was during part of the lawsuit. And, you know, that's the first thing they reacted to. Obviously, they, they were in shock. They were not expecting it, you know. Right. Uh, thanks to the community praying outside, said, and I mentioned this every time someone asked me because without them, I wouldn't be here. Wow. There was this lady that was praying the day I asked for a job there, said, I remember her. I remember her oh. telling me, don't go in there. 
And then I asked them, what is that lady doing? They're like, oh, don't mind her. She has nothing to do. She's just praying. She doesn't do anything. And then years later, I met her at Glendale, the Pasiria I was directing, and she was praying still outside. This is what, like 17 years later, she was still praying outside of this clinic. Wow. And you know, we didn't become friends at that moment. We became acquaintances. Like she was, good morning, my daughter, I pray for you. I say, good morning, Lynn, don't get right. in trouble, right? And that was yeah. her relationship. When they fired me, said, this woman praying outside the clinic, worry about the director. She was like, what happened to Myra? She's here all the time. She never misses work. She works seven days a week. She's the first one. She's the last one. All of a sudden, she's gone. This is not normal. Who does that say? Who worries about the director of the abortion clinic? Anyone else should have been celebrating. Yeah, she's gone, right? After right. 17 years. But she managed to find my contact information and called me and said, what can we do for you? Wow. Can we pray? Can we help you heal emotionally? What can we do? And that's wow. how we found our lawyer with the help of a bunch of people in the community in Arizona. We found our lawyer, Tim Casey. And when I went to Tim Casey and said, Tim, this is what happened. This is my story. I'm undocumented. He's like, you're still a human being. You still have rights. We will defend your rights because that's what we do. And we're going to take them to court for a wrongful termination. And under the protection of the Whistleblower Act. So my job was to prove during that trial, during that lawsuit, that I was fired because I had blown the whistle about the abortionist and they wanted to get rid of me. Thankfully said we did. We did. We proved that in court. You know, what most people don't know about the shocking part of the trial is that the 12 people on the jury said they were all pro-abortion and pro-plan parenthood. All of them. Really? All of them during the interview had said, that they were grateful for what Plumpering does for the community. The judge was a Democrat, you know, the typical profile that says, I'm for women's rights, you know, and she had it on her profile. So I'm grateful for the justice system. I'm grateful for those people in the jury that put their feelings, beliefs, and whatever aside to listen to the truth. Wow. You know, that's a, it's, it's a pretty damning story, Myra, because, you know, we're told by the left that they, and the abortion industry, they care about minority populations, right? They care about illegal or undocumented immigrants. And, 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 and those Republicans and pro-lifers, they hate, they hate undocumented immigrants, but we love them. And so they hire you, they give you a job, they're proving how much they care about you, uh, but then suddenly when you defect and you report their crimes, uh, they don't like you anymore and they don't treat you with dignity. Isn't that so interesting? And so, and so yeah. I can't help but wonder kind of the, the almost the hilarious nature of this lawsuit that you have a, a pro-choice judge and a pro-choice jury who have to pick between either uh, undocumented immigrants or abortion. Which one? Protect abortion or protect the rights of an undocumented immigrant? Two things you claim to care about. But when they conflict, which one are you going to pick? And so, so that I'm so pleased with with the the turnout of the lawsuit. Um, how long did this case take? Um, and then, uh, what was the end result? So we started the lawsuit on October of 2017. Like literally, it was fired October 3rd, 2017. They received our lawsuit on October 31st of 2017. Uh, the trial started on August um, 6 of 2019, so two years later, and the trial itself lasted two weeks. And you know, the most amazing part about the pro-life community in Arizona said was that they spread the word of, we need you to pray for something happening from an employee that left Plum Parenthood. No more details about it. They were all praying, yeah. right? Wow. Uh, we didn't want to make this a, a media case when the trial started, right? And, and that's what we did. Now, the priest that has helped me heal emotionally and spiritually was with me through the entire trial. The two weeks there, he was there in the bench, sitting down, you know, in the flag of the room. And um, just like you said, you know, I had to hear Plum Parenthood call me a liar because I was undocumented. That's all they had against me, my undocumented status. You shouldn't listen to her because she's undocumented. She shouldn't even be here because she's undocumented. She's a liar, a liar, a liar, a liar. You know, that's all they had against me, right? And, and just like you said, for a company that embraces 
the immigrant community, for an organization that embraces the undocumented people, obviously when you go against them, you don't matter, right? Yeah. You know what's the sad part said? That most of the organizations that are pro-immigrant work with Planned Parenthood. So obviously at the beginning, when I started talking to them, they were like, yes, great, your story is awesome, immigrant. And then as soon as I say I'm against Planned Parenthood, that's it. Right. They go yeah. quiet, they go silent, you don't hear from them anymore. Like all these pro-immigrant communities get so much money from Planned Parenthood that once they know you're not for Planned Parenthood, they're against you. No, it doesn't matter yeah. you're the immigrant. It used to matter you're the golden story that they should be praising. It doesn't matter. You're against Planned Parenthood, that's all they need to know to just completely turn their back on you. Wow. Come on, you're spitting truth right now, Myra. Well, you know, we see that with the left and the Democrat Party a lot, right? For example, with the black population in America. So I live in California, right? I'm born and raised in Southern California. We're doing a recall effort right now, right, of, of Governor Newsom, Newsom Leaney. And, uh, and there's some, there some excellent candidates, but we're going in for Larry Elder because he has the biggest following, he's the biggest thought leader, and all the polling is going with him right now. But the LA Times published a piece called Larry Elder's The Black Face yes. of White Supremacy. Yes. And so it's just typical, right? It's totally typical. It's just like, we love uh, minority populations, we love Hispanics and black people, unless they disagree with us and they're pro-life, or unless they disagree with us and they're conservative, and then we attack them and we hate them and we treat them kind of like that party used to treat black people as subhuman, as not full persons. Yes. Uh, and your experience just bears out um, kind of the, the, um, the nature of their bigotry. Um, but I wanted to dive in a little bit more into how Planned Parenthood treats undocumented immigrants. Um, because your experience, I mean, bears this out, but it's also giving you an interesting perspective into how they prey on the, on the illegal undocumented immigrants in America. Can you speak to that? You've, you've spoken to this before um, about how they essentially manipulate undocumented immigrants into having abortions by threatening deportation. Can you speak to that? Yeah, and you know, it will be very close to what do you know about this, your home state or where you live at, right? Because California, as you know, is their their golden state for Planned Parenthood. And also, it happens to be the state that is sanctuary for undocumented people, right? Which, right. you know, I live in California. I live in Ventura County for the past two years. I recently just moved back to Phoenix. So, this what's it. I got to speak to a lot of women working on the fields on Oxnard, you know, all those fields up there in, in Ventura County. And I got to learn how they get in, involved with Planned Parenthood and why this so-called state of sanctuary only uses them, right? right? Only uses the immigrant workforce, right? That's why they're sanctuary, right? Because you can come work here. We won't have any laws to regulate you, but at the same time to protect you. Your employer will abuse you. This is what Planned Parenthood comes in place. That immigrant woman had a hard time getting there. Right now she has a job at the field. She can send money to her family in her home country. But guess what? The foreman rapes them. Right. And this is how Planned Parenthood also involved into that. What we were talking, statutory rape or the abuse of women or the human trafficking. Why? Because they see the same guy bringing these women, different women every week for an abortion and no questions asked. Because that's how it is in a lot of states like California, New York, New Mexico, Colorado, no questions asked, right? right. And, and I went through that. You know, I remember once I heard an employee say, you know what? We saw the same guy bringing women, Asian women, to have abortions. And we were told, you're not the police, my friend. You're not the police, uh, Jane. You do, do your job. You know, you're wow. not the FBI. Don't be playing that you're on, on, on criminal minds show, right? You're here just to work. Right, so offer wow. look the other way. And that's what they do, said. So then they, you tell a woman, you know, if you don't have your child, you know, you can have an abortion, you know, and not carry this child, you know, and then we won't ask you any questions. You can come to Planned Parenthood, you know, and especially in states like, for example, Arizona or other states that are a bit more conservative towards immigrants and they have passed tougher laws about immigration. Obviously, there was a moment where this was happening that if an undocumented person seek help at a county hospital, government facility hospital, they may get deported. 
it was happening for a short period of time, but it was happening. So obviously this is where Planned Parenthood came into play. You're safe here. You're welcome here. You know, we won't deport you. Nothing will happen to you. We can speak about, for example, you just mentioned that. We can speak about those pregnancy centers run by Trump, right? right. Run by Trump followers, run by Christians, <laughs> run by Republicans. You know, the moment you show up to their doors and they t you tell them you're undocumented, they won't help you. Right. That's what they tell women. Right. So obviously this immigrant who hardly had a hard time getting here, what is she going to do? She's going to seek her abortion. Right. And now imagine right. in your home state where she doesn't even have to pay for it because your tax money is paying for it because Newsom's making sure to give all that money to Planned Parenthood. Right. That's right. But guess what? Your tax money is not only paying for the abortions at your home. Right. Because this vulnerability, this going after immigrants, going after, it's not only starting here in our home country, it's also going back to their countries where Planned Parenthood, international Planned Parenthood, financing abortions for poor women in foreign countries. Open seas. Did you know that IPPF has a ship that goes into open seas to do abortions for women where their abortions illegal in their country? And it's all funded by our tax American dollars. You know, when oh I tell God. you that MexFam, Mexfam, which is the, did you know that Planned Parenthood has more affiliates than McDonald's in the world? I mean, oh my God. and they don't call Planned Parenthood. Of course, it doesn't call Planned Parenthood Mexico. It doesn't call Planned Parenthood Argentina. It's called Mexfam in Mexico. And they just received just last year alone millions of dollars during the pandemic set, millions of dollars to promote abortion in Mexico. So when I see they're going wow. after the immigrants, it's not only here in the United States, it's everywhere in the world. Plumpers going after them, expanding their business like crazy. You know, Amazon's coming short to what they are becoming, right? But talking about how they get, so they get people like me. And let's remember, this is the history of Plumpers said. This is how they started with Margaret Sanger opening yeah. a clinic in 1938 in Harlem, New York, where she had black people working so the black community will come to them. Same concept, right? That's they right. get clinic in an immigrant community and put immigrants working there, put people that wow. have that background, right? So the immigrant yeah. will feel comfortable. Put a clinic on a black community and get black people to work there so people can go in comfortable, yeah. right? This is what they do. This is under history. They haven't changed. Wow. They won't change. That's what they do. Wow. Wow. And you, you specifically talked, Myra, about how they even speak to undocumented immigrants who come into their centers. Um, are there any things that they would say to women or that you were trained to say or that became common in how they would interact with these men or women? Um, I, I think I've heard you say that they would, they would try to veil it as compassionate by saying like, well, you know, uh, you you have a kid here already. You know uh, we, you don't want to get you don't want to get deported because what about the kids you already have? Uh, can you speak to sort of the sneaky and disgusting ways that they do threaten deportation, um, and, and then and selling abortions to these families? Right. Yeah. So like I was saying, you know, so this woman comes in, right, and she's in a state that is more conservative. Let's say like here in Arizona, right, and it's like. Well, you know, I know how hard it must be. You just got to this country. You already had your kids, you know, like having another child, you know. I mean, if you come to us for an abortion, nothing will happen to you. We don't ask you anything. We don't ask you questions. Whatever I did, you show, it's fine. You know, but if you go to a hospital, that may not be the same luck for you, right? I mean, they may call eyes on you. That has happened. I know you have heard that in their community, you know, especially in the time where like I said, the um, SB law was trying to pass you in Arizona, you know, and they were saying that, you know how they like to do that. It's right now with the with the bill in Texas. They're telling women, you know, that someone is going to get you pregnant so, so he can claim $10,000, right? Like, right, right. that's what they're telling women that it's happening right now in Texas, right? That the guy purposely will make sure you get pregnant so he can claim $10,000. Well, that's what they were doing back then. They were telling women, you know, they were telling the immigrant community, you know, you can't even sit a foot in the hospital because you, they'll put ice on you. You can't even do this. You can't call the police. You can't do anything, right? Wow. So then imagine you tell that woman that that's how the law is in this state and her best choice is for her to go kill her child so she wow. can remain in this country, right? Well, how hard it is for a woman, you know, that just barely made it here, you know, like she's not working. And then you're having another kid right now, they're going to 
your employer is not going to keep you anymore, right? Who wants to keep yeah. a pregnant woman a child? How hard is it going to be for you? You're going to end up back in your country, right? right. And, and those are the things that they tell women, right? Wow. So Planned Parenthood uses their other uh, health services, you know, women's health services, to say, well, you can't go get those health services anywhere else because you know they're gonna learn and they're gonna deport you. So just come to us for all of your women's health services and exams, and then oh, 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 you got pregnant. Well, you can't, you can't go anywhere else. You can't go anywhere else. They'll, they'll send you away. So just come into our ever loving arms, the, the arms of death. Uh, what a disgusting sales pitch and marketing scheme. Um, well, hey, Myra, I wanted to finish with this because I think it's so powerful, and, and I want to harken back to a point you made earlier about the impact of sidewalk counselors and, and faithful Christians who were praying outside of the centers that you operated with. And what a beautiful story of you becoming uh, friends with that woman and how that introduction led to the lawyer and to the lawsuit and your, your, your eventual victory. I just love that story, but you've talked about before how um, Planned Parenthood and the entire abortion industry, they would refer to those sidewalk counselors as the crazies. Um, but now the, the crazies ended up being used in an amazing way um, to, to love on you and, and, to, and to, um, to welcome you into the pro-life movement. Um, you, you, I wanted to read something you said publicly here. You said, uh, don't, dis don't get discouraged praying on the sidewalk at Planned Parenthood. It works. I have seen patients turn around because of that. I'm an example of the mercy of those people out there praying. They were there for me. And I know from doing work in the pro-life movement for years that 40 Days for Life has found that during their prayer campaigns, when abortion industry workers leave the industry, it's quite common for former abortion workers like yourself to say that during those prayer campaigns, they, abortion centers would see anywhere from 50 to 75% no-show for abortion appointments. So can you just talk to that aspect and your experience with sidewalk counselors and what God does when we as Christians show up outside of these uh, these centers of death? Yes, of course. And this is why Planned Parenthood fights so much for you to be there, right? Remember, California is trying to pass a legislation right now where you won't be allowed to be on a sidewalk. Why? Why yeah. does Planned Parenthood spend so much money preventing you from being on the sidewalk? Because it does damage. You know, it does damage to the business. People don't come. I remember there was one of the campaigns where a lot of people joined at the Glendale facility. And I think they formed a human chain, you know, holding hands. Just pray. They wouldn't do anything else but just pray. That day, I swear to you, I only saw five patients. They did no one else came. So, yes, wow. for the most part, we see a drop of 50% of patient rate. That's why they overbook, like, the planes, right, to make sure that when that 50% doesn't come, we can yeah. make up some other way numbers, right? Exactly. But still, during the 40 Days for Life campaign, it doesn't work. Not only did I get to see patients during a round set, but an employee did not start her job because of that campaign. I hired wow. her during the spring campaign of 2017, and I did her interview in another location because that was comfortable. I didn't get her there. You know, so her first day was going to start at that location. She didn't show up. I called her and I said, hey, you know, what happened? You know, you got a flat tire or something happened. She's like, no. I got there and there were people praying. I said, okay, so did they, did they talk to you? Did they did anything to you? I mean, I can go outside and get you from the car, you know. They're not allowed to do anything to you. Like, what happened? You know, they didn't do anything to me. Oh, okay, so I'm waiting to hear the what happened, right? Like, right. why? Because of the people praying, she didn't. She's like, I don't want to work in a place where people had to pray. So not only does it work with with the women seeking abortion, it also works from right. people seeking a job with them, you know, and, and of course it's being part of them. And then they were not. I'm a stronger yeah. believer that if we leave the, the employees, leave the, the work industry, the abortion industry, if there's no employees to do abortions, there won't be any abortions, right? Like Abby Jensen said it when she created and then they were not. So if we all leave the industry, they won't have. Right now in the city of Arizona, they have had the hardest time finding an abortion, he said. And we saw their yeah. drop. They went from doing abortions in three locations five days a week to now they're doing abortions maybe three days a week, you know, because they're having a hard time. Right. So if we get to not finding employees to do that, and this is all thanks to the people praying outside, you know. Yeah. During the fall campaign, which is about to start, by the way, during the fall campaign of 2017, yeah. The people at Glendale, the leader told me, 
she was praying for a miracle. And then they all said there has to be a miracle in this, this campaign, right? right? And then when I came out on October 3rd, and then they heard and everything, you know, to look at me as their miracle said, I don't deserve it, honestly. When they say wow. you were the miracle we pray for in that campaign, I, I can't believe, you know, yeah. that they look at me as a miracle. I just, yeah. it's yeah. over. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer works, right? It, it, it's, it's a strange thing in our faith where um, God doesn't need us to do anything, right? I say this when I speak to churches all the time, Myra, is that, you know, God could end abortion tomorrow if he wanted. He could have ended slavery before it got crazy. He could have ended the Holocaust. Why didn't he? Is, is he not strong enough? No, of course he is. But he wants to use his people to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And he wants people to, to recognize his love and sovereignty um, because they love him, because they've been moved by the gospel, not because he showed up in the clouds and said, bow to me, right? Or, or he just wiped out every abortionist and then everyone would go, oh, I guess God exists. No, he, he wants you to want him and to respond to the gospel. Um, and then he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. And so I think that's so beautiful. I say this all the time that, you know, eternity is written on the heart of man, as scripture says. And so when you have people contending and praying outside of abortion centers and you have men and women coming in and you see the decrease in the abortions, that should tell us something. It should tell them that they still have a still small voice and a conscience, that even when they're at such a low point in their life that they're about to pay someone to kill their baby, they still have a voice saying, this is wrong. I don't want to be seen doing this. Well, why don't you want to be seen doing it? It's just healthcare, right? No, no. Deep down, they know that this is not just healthcare. This is not just like removing a polyp. This is an individual human being. It's a little baby. And I think that those individuals are going to have a very large community in heaven. They are the unsung heroes right now, um, but they will have beautiful crowns in heaven for the impact they've had and the lives they've saved. Um, Myra, as we wrap up, why don't you just share your heart with us? What would you say um, to Christians, to churches, to pastors, as someone who's been on the other side of this, who's worked in these killing centers, what would you share with the country and with the church in particular? What should we know? What would you say to awaken the church that they should become aware of to start getting involved in this fight and join you on the front lines? Well, what I will say is that the sacrifice, there's not justification for this human sacrifice. You know, that the killing of another human being inside the womb, it's not a justification. There's nothing, there's no excuse for it. You know, that this is a business and we have held this business, this abortion industry for far too long. We are destroying women. Abortion is only destroying women. We're not helping any of them. And you know why? Because not only is this movement made out of mostly former abortion workers too. You know, it's made out of former patients that had abortions. You know, that the women that have been hurt on abortion are the strongest voices in the pro-life movement because they regret their abortion forever. I mean, said when you meet a woman that tells you, I had my abortion 40 years ago and her pain's still there, that's how strong that is. Why? That's right. Because we were not meant to kill our children. We were meant to protect them. Wow. You know, and one thing I may add, it's true. He He's the only one that does everything so perfect, right? He makes the death here and the mute speak. And that's what he did to me. You know, years yeah. after years, don't give up. Please refrain. Remember, there's Myra's, there's Abby Jansos, there's Patricia Sandoval, and there's the more than 600 former abortion workers that have left the abortion industry, from doctors to nurses to admin people to directors, you know, and we are here because of your prayers. You know, your prayer had to do with Kim opening our eyes, letting us hear, and making us speak, right? Yeah. And all I want to do is not give up. You know, they don't, yeah. don't give up. Even if you don't see something happening the day you're praying there, even if you don't feel like someone changed their mind when you told them about, you know, like, hey, go watch Seth in YouTube, you know, Seth Grover in YouTube and watch this episode. Even if you don't think that person changed her mind right there, I can assure you, you planted that small seed, that yeah. little mustard seed that we all need to have to have faith. And then we will continue to speak for the voiceless said. That's what we're doing here. This is social justice. It has nothing to do with being Republican, Democrat, white, 
nothing. This is, has to do with social justice. And they're lying to people when they tell them the pro-life movement is made out of Christians, white Christian supremacists. It's not true. <laughs> you know, it is not true. There's people from all colors, you know, there's people from all ethnicity. I just had an event last weekend with Rehumanize International. There was an activist from Japan said that shocked me. I'm like, wow, I didn't know Japan people were fighting for life, you know, because wow. you feel like Asian people are so against human life, right? So when she came out and said that their mo the movement is getting stronger in Japan and in Asia, yeah. it gives me hope. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's right. That's beautiful. And we are living in a very propitious moment. We're living in very interesting times. Uh, Texas legislation, incredible. We've never seen anything like it before. Of course, they're going to start filing lawsuits and take it through the Texas state courts. But this is saving probably 120 to 150 babies a day right now in Texas. And we've never seen something like that at the legislative level or the judicial level since Roe versus Wade. So I think God's on the move. I think something's happening. And I, I think there's a stirring that's happening in the hearts of Americans and the church, who I always say is the one responsible to end abortion because we worship an unborn child who entered the womb of Mary. And if anyone were to step up and end abortion and defend life in the womb, it would obviously be the Christians. And that's an awakening that needs to happen. But it starts with, like you said, with prayer. Uh, as scripture says, when God says, if my people would humble themselves and repent, and call out for me, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And our land is in a lot of heat, is in need of a lot of healing. So, Myra, thank you so much for your voice and sharing your story. Hey, where can people connect with you? Because you're you're such a powerful voice who's who's been from yeah. one spectrum to the other. And if people want to book you for an event or follow you or learn more about your story, where can they connect with you? Well, we have our uh, webpage, which is MayaRodriguez.org. I also have Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Telegram, YouTube channel. I do have a radio show uh, every Tuesday afternoon, which is in Spanish from Mexico City. Awesome. We're about wow. to launch that in an hour. Uh, I started that project a few months ago where I invite people from all over the world so to speak about pro-life. You know, and why wow. they're activists and why are they doing this fight? Because this movement is not only... In America, it's an international movement, and we're united. We're more. It's more of yeah. us. So, yeah. and, and, but people can find me there under the real Mayor Rodriguez. There were too many Mayor Rodriguez. We had to add a word. So, <laughs> right, right. the real Mayor Rodriguez and Facebook and all the other social media platforms. Thank you so much wow. for having me. Said thank you for what you do. Actually, I love all your episodes. I've been watching them all the past few weeks since I started connecting with you. So, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, and I didn't know that you were in Ventura County. That's where uh, where we're streaming live too. I thought you were still in Arizona. So we'll have you do this again with us, and we'll have you in person here at the studio. Um, but yeah. thank you so much for your time, your passion, and your courage, which, as you said earlier, is is really just doing the right thing. Um, and it is. you you only look courageous because of there there are so many cowards. Um, but cur yes. courage is contagious. And we pray that your courage would be contagious to the country and to the church. So God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you guys for joining the show today. I hope that fired you up and encouraged you. Uh, go connect with Myra Rodriguez. Follow her on her social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for pro-life speakers, a powerful voice at a very important moment, head on over to Spotify, YouTube, iTunes. Give this show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people at such an important moment. And as long as I can fly under the technocrats at YouTube, we're going to keep putting out these ideas to change minds, change hearts, and save lives. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, follow me on social media or go to my website, sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G. G-R-U-B as in babyboyer.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local, and to book me for an event. My 2021 calendar is almost full and we're booking for the next year now. If you want to take advantage of our generous church partner to get me to your church or youth group or school, if you don't have the funds, they will underwrite that for you so we can get this type of content in front of young people to get them engaged and on the battlefield to end abortion. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.